Hello and welcome to another episode of Butterfly Kisses, a journey of spiritual transformation. I am here today with Michaela Cox, and she is a multi-published author and speaker. And today she is here to talk to us about her newest book out called Now I See. And Now I See is all about her journey, her spiritual journey, her life journey, all about the 38 triple D life. And Michaela, I'm going to have you Tell us all about what that means. And it's probably not what they're thinking right now, but I am glad to be here and I'm glad to visit. <laughs> I promise everyone who's listening out there it has nothing to do with the garment size. What it is, um, I've had a very interesting journey. It's very different from most people's. I started calling it 38 Triple D, going from much thri- uh, much tribulation to thriving in all things. And what that involves, I'll cure your curiosity out there. Um, the first D represents having a lifelong disability of legal blindness. The second D um, was divorced at 26 from a very interesting first marriage. (laughs) That's a whole other story. (laughs) Um, And then I was fortunate enough after that one to meet a wonderful man and fall in love and have a chapter two. But then unfortunately in 2017, he passed away. So at the age of 38 in 2017, at the time, that's obviously been almost four and a half years ago. So I aged as we all do. Um, I wish I could say a certain age, but that's not what happened. Um, he passed away April, 2017, and I was 38 at the time and we had two children. So not only in one fell swoop did I become a widow, a solo mom who was in fact still disabled. So 38 triple D, disability, divorce, and death of the spouse. Wow. That is an interesting life to say the least. Tell us a little bit about your, your disability. Sure. Um, that for you. I'll, I'll address the interest. I'm like, there's a quote out there and I forget who said it. It's on my website. What, what doesn't kill you gives you something to write about. So I have lots of material for sure. But anyway, um, I'm still here. So might as well write about it. As far as the disability goes, I don't know if there's any people in your audience or listeners who are of a medical background who might know what I'm fixing to speak of. And I'm sure they could explain it better. I'm a lay person, but not medical. I was born in Houston, Texas in 1978. I was born totally blind. And then about seven months old, I was able to gain my sight. I'm faith-based um, in my own personal life. We believe it was a miracle that God gave me my sight. But even though I do have sight and I do see, they're still impaired. And as I've gotten older, it has evolved into legal blindness. And the root cause of it is something called optic nerve atrophy or atrophy. What it means is if you've ever seen in like a biology class or your eye doctor's office, a chart or a graph of the optic nerve, it's supposed to be a certain color and shape. <laughs> Mine is totally jacked up. It is the wrong color and the wrong shape. Like most people's optic nerves are purple. Mine's the color, like when you go into your filing cabinet and you see vanilla folders, mine's that pale. And I write about it in the first book, in the first one or two chapters in the book we're talking about today. Now I see is my pediatrician at first thought I had no optic nerves. They were so pale. They're like, um, we can't find them. <laughs> wow. And- specialists in Houston's and they like no they're there they're just ridiculously pale like almost non-existent and the basically what the optic nerve does it's on the brain stem it allows you when the blood flows through your optic nerve it tells what receptors and what things to send to the brain so your brain can perceive what to see just in the messages to tell your eyes what to see so my because the blood does not flow the way it's supposed to for whatever reason I don't know if it's because of the shape and it can and therefore it impacts the color I don't know how that works I just know it's jacked 
it doesn't flow through the way it's supposed to. So my processing ability of visual images, depending on what time of day, what size, what shape, how far, you know, is it been, have I been on my computer for eight hours a day? You know, just all these lovely variable things that does not make it cut and dry or simple. It takes longer to see and do things and find things. And no, I don't drive. And I was always that kid that back in the 80s, I don't know what they call them now, but I had IEPs, individual education plans and accommodations out the yin yang and all the things all the way through kindergarten through college and grad school and everything. So depending on what year you're talking about, you can be talking about anything from a little telescope that I would use to read the chalkboard. I was always on the front row. In high school, the ACT that a lot of us take in America, I don't know if you have international listeners, mainly in the South do ACT, unless you're going away, then you'll do the SAT. But in any case, I took the ACT to get into university or college. And instead of taking the four hours it takes, I was allowed 10 to 12 hours to take it. Wow. It literally took me all week to take the ACT. I took it twice. I said, screw that. I'm done. It was exhausting. <laughs> I'm not doing this again. I got into the college I needed to get into to do my major. I'm good. Bye. And then in college, instead of doing everything on audio, which is what I pretty much have done since fifth grade for like textbooks and whatnot, the people that are responsible for the different people that in places where they record books to stay on top of things, the professors wanted the latest editions like two years ago. So they couldn't keep up fast enough. So I said, I don't have time to figure out if page 60 is 75 or I'm, like, I'm not dealing with all that. So I just had some, I had readers and scribes in college and whatnot. Anyway, all the various different possible things, you know, technology, bigger, bigger computers, you know, like I couldn't use laptops for the longest time because they weren't advanced enough to be where I could read them. Now, is this um, a hereditary? No, I'm the only one in the family and my kids don't have it. So, nope, I'm a fluke. Wow. No, that just makes you special. Yeah, but it was still a medical fluke. Nonetheless, the medical profession for the longest time was scratching his like, uh, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Okay. Don't know what happened. Don't know why she's supposed to be seeing, but she's seeing and I don't know why. That's like a miracle on its own. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Science goes so far and then comes God. So anyway. Do you think there's a purpose in your life or your blindness? I have my own theories. I mean, I can't speak for God, you know, being faith-based and everything, but for my own, what I've seen in my almost 43 years of life, I feel like it's taught me a lot. I think it's helped a lot of people, maybe witnessed or ministered to people, seeing what I went through. I've learned a lot through that just one D in of itself. And I think in having to live through a disability from the moment you take a breath, like I'll never have a day or take a breath where I don't see through normal eyes. Mine are always, I'm, I don't know what that is like. It's not like I had a life and then something horrific happened and I lost vision. No, I've always been this way and I always will be. It's uncorrectable. I mean, medicine right now, we don't have optic nerve transplants. And quite honestly, if they did, I don't know if I'm okay with someone going to screw with my brain stem. That's a whole different ball game from taking your gallbladder out. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> good. I've been doing this for almost 43 years. I, I, I think I'll say put. It taught me a lot early in life. And I think having those lessons and those truths and those wisdoms, while I needed them for the disability, it also helped me for the other tribulations that would come along in adult life. Because yeah. tribulation, I'm not negating or minimizing what anyone goes through, but it's the same type of aspect of life, no matter what type it is, it's still hard and it's still difficult and you still have to find a way through it. 
no matter what type or source of tribulation that it is. And if you choose in life to be an overcomer, it's the same skill set in overcoming something, no matter what you're overcoming. So the same things that helped me get through life with a disability, helped me get through a divorce and is helping me, you know, deal with not having my husband and be, have being a widow for the last almost four and a half years and raising two kids on my own and being disabled and, you know, all the things. Wow. That yeah. yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. I, I completely understand and understand where you're coming from. I mean, I mean, I don't have a disability in, in that aspect of physical disability, but I know what it's like to one, be divorced and to also lose a, lose a spouse. So grief can feel debilitating though I think depending on where you're at in the journey yes yes they can both be all kind <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and life throws so many different things at you sometimes that you can be powerless over at the same time but also not feeling like a victim right is very important I think in how you overcome certain things I've kind of come up with a process that has, I mean, I didn't come up with it overnight. It's been over years and years and years. And I've been able to formulate what that looks like if someone wanted step-by-step, step, not that there really is a manual because believe me, your God, there's no manual for this crap. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, good luck, yeah. find it, find it, let me know, please, your God, <laughs> simply, I need it now. I've been needing it, okay? But, and be that as that may, all my whole life and the way I was raised is because no one really knew what this was, optic nerve atrophy, no one really knew how it was going to impact me. And like, supposedly there's a whole bunch of other crap that's supposed to come with it. I don't know what it is because I don't have it. And so they never knew really what I was going to be able to do in life. And they told my mom and dad all this scary crap, like, oh my God, she's not going to be able to do this, blah, 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 whatever. So my parents took the attitude of, well, we'll give it to God. We'll see what she can do and we'll see where it goes. And we'll teach her never to quit, never to give up and never stop. So I've always been really tenacious, really strong-willed, probably stubborn. Uh, <laughs> hang on here, you're <laughs> you know, on the other side of that, you know, very self-driven, very um, determined, and, you know, persistent and persevered. And I never let it stop me. I mean, there's sure something like I will never be able to drive. And that's a good thing for the rest of you people promise. Other than a few things like that, that are immovable. I've always found ways to really work around it and think outside the box. So I've always chosen to not be a victim. And I mean, I'm not saying it hasn't kicked my butt sometimes where I had bad days, but I've always chose to be a victor and try and be victorious and triumphant and thrive in it and still do what I want to do and live my life the way I want. And so I believe life is a choice. And what I mean by that is you may not choose the hand you're dealt for what you get in life, but we're very much in control of what we do with it. Mm -hmm. Either be defined by it or, now that's not to say it won't impact us like a death of a spouse or a disability, but that doesn't have to be what defines me. I can choose to define it for myself. Very true. And so I've always, the more adult version of this um, is, you know what, the world can hold my beer and sit back and watch me because I'll be danged if you're going to tell me no. <laughs> I mean, I was never supposed to make better than C's in uh, school, supposedly. And, you know, back in the eighties in Texas, which is where I was originally from and where I lived for the most first whole decade of my life, I, there's been different pendulum swings and shifts of thought in the education field of how to deal with them special needs or disability. And at the time they wanted me to be excluded. My mom fought like crap to not let that happen. So I was included, I was not excluded. So I was with regular classes, but I just had accommodations. And so I've just always had to do what I had to do and pretty much take not take no for an answer. And mm -hmm. I mean, 
who would have thought someone who was born blind, visually impaired her whole entire life, legally blind, would have gotten through high school with a pretty decent GPA, probably not, you know, it would never be a 4.0, but it was like a 3.1296 or something, I forget. And then college, I did, uh, I can't do one thing. I had um, a BA in sociology with a double minor in English and history. I didn't have as good of a GPA as I wanted, but it was a 2.896. And then I did grad school in New Hampshire and I graduated with honors, which I will brag about that one because that should have never happened. But it did. I have my master's in political science and a grad certificate in ancient classical history. I had a 3.8050 or some crap like that. And I've written, eight books and I'm still writing. I love it. Congratulations. That's but awesome. All that because I chose to not let it define me. I'm not making, I'm not bringing up all those things to brag on myself, except maybe the honors part. Sorry, <laughs> 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 it really did. It was like the first time I ever did it, but I never my butt off of that. I did. Cause yeah, I was, girl. my husband was in grad school too at the time, the one that passed away and he was in military and we had two kids by the end of my grad school. So and we were living 26 hours away from friends and family. So we had a lot on our plates and I still did it. But I say all that is to say that the only reason those things happen is because I made a choice to say, screw that. I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to do what I want to do and try and overcome this and not let it stand in my way. Those things would have not happened without that kind of choice and mindset. How do you think you got that choice and mindset. I mean, what, what do you attribute that choice and mindset to? Well, I believe it was one my faith and I believe it was the way I was raised with parents that taught me, you do your best, you don't give up, you don't stop and you don't quit and you keep going. You see where it takes you. When you say your faith, what do you mean by that? I've been a, a what people would call it evangelical. I don't really think of it that way, but it is. It's, um, I was raised Southern Baptist and I've been a believer in Jesus Christ and a, a believer in the faith of Christianity pretty much more of my life than not like I chose it like five or five and a half to profess my faith and I don't really really, really remember my life before that because I was like younger than five <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty much seen me through everything so that if someone would say what was your toolbox well obviously it would be my faith would be the first and foremost for me from my perspective I know it's not for everyone but for me it is and then knowing that I have a choice in this. I mean, I've chosen these crappy things in my life, but I can choose what to do with it. I can choose to be the victor or the victim. I can choose to sit around and do nothing or make something of it or do what I can. And then that plays right into mindset because it's our mindset. And there's a reason why in our society that there's the expression mind over manner. When you put your mind to something, you can do anything you want. Mm-hmm. It's not always easy. Sometimes I think mindset's the hardest thing because we don't always have control on what floats into our heads and our feeling and our thoughts. And we have a right to those. That's part of our humanness and our humanity. And that's part of the human experience and how we process things. And you have to process things if you want to get past whatever's in your way, such as like grief for sure. I know you understand that. But at the end of our processing through whatever way we do that, we can choose to say, okay, I'm going to stay at this really into the spectrum that's really crappy and sucks and I don't want to, you know, stay down in it or which isn't always easy to get out of it. I'm not saying that. I didn't say any of this was easy. I just said, this is what I've done. (laughs) Or you can choose to be at the other end of the spectrum and like, you know what, this really sucks, but I'm going to try and figure it out. I'm not going to let this keep me down. 
it's really hard right now, but I'm going to look for the rainbows. I'm going to look for the, even if it's just one small sliver of sunshine, I'm going to find it, even if it's a small thing of, I, at least I'm still taking my breaths of being grateful and finding the joy, no matter how hard it is. I'm going to try my very best, no matter how hard it is to see the world for a good and happy place and look for my happiness for myself. Because happiness is a choice too. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, where can I find these things and what is going to make me happy? What is going to make, why am I still here? You know, especially after losing someone, I would also say, do you want to be a pessimist? Do you want to be an optimist? Do you want to see the world as half full or half empty? You know, those are all choices and what we do with our mindset. And I think oftentimes the mindset can very much has a huge part in, do we stay our chosen course? Mm-hmm. Help us, it's what motivates us. Is it going to help us to work towards our chosen course of whatever we've chosen to do? Or is it going to deter us from that cho- chosen course? Which goes back to life's a choice. I think those are important things. And whatever you may be going through and working towards to overcoming it. Uh, yes, I completely agree because life is definitely a choice. Not necessarily some of the things that may or may not happen to you sometimes, but I think the way we react to things and how we respond is definitely our choice. We have the power to create our life the way we want it to be. And how we do that is by the actions that we take and the steps that we take. And you've chosen joy and and happiness, even if it's hard. Working on it. And still getting up and still still moving forward is how how do you teach that to your children my children are they're not as they were very young when my husband passed away they were my daughter was six and my son was three at the time in 2017 and they were fixing up birthdays that year because they're august babies so their seventh and fourth birthday was coming up right now they just turned 11 and 8 so they're not as young as they used to be but they're still both in school like my daughter just started middle school god help me (laughs) for the next three years you know remember choose joy choose joy (laughs) right but i'll take it as it comes and then my son is in second grade so they are older now but i didn't quit when john died i wanted to i wanted to crawl in the freaking casket with them but i had two babies that they just lost their dad and didn't really matter what i was going through i mean it does that's not what i'm saying but when you're a parent it, yeah. that's not the priority it needs to be your priority in your own time but I got crap to do man I I mean it was I should have got I joke I don't know if I put it in the book or not but I joke about the morning after I found out John was gone I really should have gotten an Oscar award for that freaking performance I did in my life <laughs> uh, we were living in New Hampshire at the time on East Coast time it was nine o'clock at night on the fourth when I found out John was gone. And then I finally crashed about two 30 that morning and I had to be up at six to get my daughter ready for school and do breakfast and get her on the bus. And she didn't know yet. Cause I was still wrapping my head around it. So I did the normal routine, like nothing had changed. They thought daddy was at work already, which cause with military life, that wasn't uncommon. Sometimes he was up before we were, and sometimes he didn't get home until late. So they didn't bat an eye at it. Like it wasn't weird for them. Like, why is dad gone so early that's that was sometimes what happened depending on what was going on in the state and what his unit needed and what they were trying to do so for me to say daddy's already at work wasn't a thing you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so they took it and 
bought it until I could figure out what the crap am I going to tell my daughter and yeah I woke up with four hours of sleep from the day of hell of my life at the time and did my normal sometimes we just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and I totally <clears throat> totally get that one when, when my husband passed it was just like I didn't know exactly what to do <laughs> so you do it yeah then you just do it and I'm I was really fortunate to have family around me to help put me in the right direction yeah. <laughs> help get me home and all of that good stuff yep. um, that summer when because northern school schedules are very different from southern school schedules mm -hmm. so she had like almost another whole two months no she did because she got out June 13th that year I think so she had a whole two months and a couple days left of school in her school year in New Hampshire. So I decided it would be better to move back to Louisiana where my parents were for my kids' sake. And I had a lot of friends down here. I mean, I had friends in New Hampshire too, but I've lived in Louisiana for 19 years and only been in New Hampshire for like a decade. So my support system was much broader. I mean, had I stayed in New Hampshire, I believe I would have been fine, but I just thought that was the best call. Within 90 days, and I know this isn't what the experts say, they say not to make any big decisions for a year, but I didn't have a choice because I had to get my daughter ready for school year. So I either had to stay put for next school year or I had to get her down south in time to get her ready for the next school year because Jesse yeah. wasn't wasn't going to kindergarten. He had one more year at home at the time. So we moved cross country on June 26 of 2017, less than 90 days after my husband passing. So I was very busy for those first 90 days. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And the military, because he was career military, we had a lot of stuff to do, so that kept me busy. So it was quite the ride. It's one that we're not expecting either. And it's yeah. like, how do, you, how do you get through this? But somehow or another, you do. What has, what has this life journey experience taught you? I mean, as a wife and a mother and a woman. Yeah. And God. A widow. <laughs> Let's throw all the W's in there. <laughs> yeah like I said I believe very much in life is a choice I believe in my faith I believe uh, mindset is key and then the next two that I talk about a lot is now I will admit I was not very good at this in my I don't mean as a young mom because I didn't have kids until I was 31 but a new mom so young in that respect I was new to it when my daughter was born obviously I did not do a very good job of doing self-care because I literally didn't have time because <laughs> she was eight months old when I started grad school why I thought that was a good idea at the time I have no freaking clue but I to tell. and then we had our son while I was in grad school I was raising a either an eight-month-old or you know eventually a three-year-old and a newborn and doing grad school yeah that was fun especially when I was doing my thesis the semester she was three and he was four months old and not sleeping through the night I thought that I thought that right there was going to kill me academically speaking <laughs> that's a lot on your plate yeah, that was a fun semester. Not, I would never do it again. But also, I think even though I was not very good at doing self-care, grief, whether you want to or not, <laughs> you better do self-care because if you don't do self-care, you will drown. Self-care and grief is the difference between hoping to keep your head above water and drowning, at least in my experience. I don't know what it is for you. Yeah. And so I got to the point in my grief journey of, you know what? That laundry, unfortunately, is not disappearing anytime soon. And those dishes are going to be in the sink until I do them. There is no fairy godmother with a wand of poof goes there. 
goes the housework. So you know what? Does it really matter if I go take a two hour nap? I'm gonna go take a nap. The dishes will be when I wake up. It'll be fine. <laughs> or whatever your version of self-care is. That was me a lot of the first year. My kid was still home and I could see school people. Now they're in school and I can do whatever I want Monday through Friday from eight to three. I just have discovered the value. It keep, people say, you know, when mama's happy, everybody's happy. No, when mama's sane, everybody's sane. That's my version. <laughs> <laughs> Sanity over the last four and a half years, I've had to just not worry about it. I do what I have to do to, I've got two kids that depend on me. I'm the only one. And so if mama takes five minutes for herself, then oh well, I'm not killing anybody. And, you know, we're alive and we're, my kids are fed and I'm holding it together some days better than others. And oh, well. <laughs> How do you handle people's judgments towards oh, you? Oh, you don't want that answer because it's not very polite. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you, do you experience judgment from people? I give less. I give, uh, I'm sorry to anyone who might be offended by this next thing. I give less than a damn and a rat's ass what people think. Because you know what? They have not had to walk what I've had to walk with the disability their whole entire life since the moment they took their first breath. They may have been divorced. They may have lost a husband. They may have been lost both. But I can promise, guarantee to you this. Very few people in my knowledge. Now, I'm not saying there isn't somewhere in the realm of our earth of 8 billion people or whatever it is on this planet hasn't walked this journey. But to my knowledge, very few people can say they've done all three and done what I would like to think as well as I've done under all three very untenable circumstances. So you know what? If anybody wants to pass judgment on that, unless they want to pay my bills and trade places with me, then they can tell me how to do it. And I give less than a damn what they think because they don't have to do what I have to do. Now, do I care about what my friends think? Yes, the rest of the world. I would love for you to learn from my knowledge and my wisdom. But until you want to trade and tell me how and see what it is to do it, I don't want to hear it. Now, does that make me sound like a total witch? Absolutely. Don't care. <laughs> nope, that's exactly the answer I was looking for. Actually, I got that one a long time ago with the disability. Mm -hmm. Until you want me to tell you how to do it. And when I'm kicking ass, despite having a disability, I really don't care and don't want to hear it. Now, if you want to trade and do what I do and walk a mile in my shoes anymore that I don't have to walk a mile in someone else's shoes and do what they do, I don't want to hear it. Sorry. I think we're all here to learn particular lessons, uh, that lessons that we choose when, our, when, when we incarnate into this world, it's amazing sometimes how people are quick to pass judgment on other people for the life that the other person chooses to live because it goes against values we think that we uphold, if that makes any sense. It does, um, we'll do it, but what they don't take into account is you can, and it's not even their fault really, you can no. only know no. And so you haven't walked where I've walked, not you specifically, but in general, any more than I've walked where someone else has walked. So I don't know those knowledge and that wisdom and truths that they've learned because of their own journey any more than they know mine. So they can't have the point of view or the perspective and have had to think outside of the box the way I have and understand the world in the way that I've had to understand it. Yeah. Well, I like the fact that you're sharing your knowledge and your experience with everybody and the books that you've written and the blogs that you're writing and you know, the speaking engagements that you're doing. 
and the fact that you're so willing and open because that allows people to kind of get a glimpse into the world of Michaela Cox and what what your what your experience is because it also gives us encouragement and inspiration as well to try to understand and appreciate what we have and be grateful at any moment anyone could lose their eyesight at any moment we could lose someone we love at any moment life can turn upside down in an instant yeah. and it does instant. i can promise you that and that's why i say we all get one life we all get one shot at this so you might as well do your best and live your best life and choose it and define it for yourself and go forth and live your best life that's all you get exactly so what are your future plans and projects as an author i know you had that oh, you have that. so i want to tell us tell us what you've got going on excuse me i have four projects hopefully coming out in this fall two books in my motherhood series continuing my journey as a mom and then what I do, companion extra material form. And then in the fall, starting in 2022, I'll be adding to my series on faith and I'll be doing a second book in the Now I See series and I'll be doing another political book in the fall and I'll be adding to the Before the Clock Strike Midnight series. So it's a lot of things this year, between now and end of 2020. And more podcasting and hopefully speaking and I'd really, if I'm being really ambitious and honest, I'd like to um, get a TEDx talk. So I'm working on that too. Awesome. I think you'll do well at TEDx. I'm always doing everything. So where can people find you? Where can they find uh, Now I See as well? The site um, is called myheartfeltmeditations.com. And then all my books are on Amazon. So under Michaela Cox? Michaela S. Cox is my author name, yes. Cox. I'll have links to the Amazon, your Amazon author page and your website as well on the notes section here. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners about your journey? And Other than something that's funny, the reason why I'm so brash sometimes in my opinions, I was actually, I know, I don't know if the audience will be able to see me, but I have red hair and I'm kind of fiery and feisty and, you know, sassy. And I attribute that to that. And I was born in November, so I'm a Scorpio and I'm a Texas Southern girl. So I've tried to live up to all of those reputations. So yeah. I was going to say you're either a Taurus or a Scorpio. So those were the, the yeah. two that I was going to, you know, it's like, she's either a Taurus or a Scorpio. One or the other, I can tell. Yeah. But uh, I love it. Well, one question I ask all my, all my guests, and I've got to ask you this as well. If you were, if you had the opportunity to speak with anybody dead or alive on a park bench for an hour, who would it be? And what would you talk about? Okay, I love history and politics and I love to read. And that's like a wide range because I'm like, I have several from several categories. So you have a specific category you're referring to or is it just wide open? Wide open. One person though, okay. for an hour. And what would you talk about and why? Currently, probably Alexander Hamilton. I'm, on a, I'm a major obsession with, I have literally been watching Hamilton pretty much weekly since it got strained on Disney Plus last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, picks is Alexander Hamilton. Actually, our forefathers. Because I like history and I like politics. And probably one of my favorite time periods to study is um, the beginning and founding of our country anyway. So, which is what, um, if you were to look me up and you saw the book, We the People Are? Question mark. That's, you know, kind of we're defining and exploring who we are as we the people. That's so. pretty interesting. Alexander Hamilton has not come up so far. That would be one of mine. <laughs> I love it. 
Well, thank you, Michaela. I appreciate you joining us today and good luck on your upcoming books. And again, people can find you at um, Michaela Escox on Amazon. And then also people can find you on myheartfeltmeditations.com. Thank you again and good luck with everything. You have a great day. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Butterfly Kisses, A Journey of Spiritual Transformation. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. This way you won't miss it when a new episode is released. Also join me on the Facebook page at Butterfly Kisses Podcast. Here we can continue the conversations we've been discussing on these podcasts, and you can also ask questions of our guests as well. Also, if you're interested in learning more about Akashic Record readings, you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with me on the Facebook page, or you can do so by visiting my website at amygraycunningham.com. Again, thank you, and remember, always spread your gorgeous wings, my friend, and fly. Until next time, see ya.